0: John, I was not expecting on the podcast today to have a guest on who would open with that they grew up in an evangelical Christian cult and from that had to find themselves and create coping mechanisms that now they're able to spread with a beautiful message to all businesses that she communicates
1: with. Yeah, absolutely. Today we're sitting down with Shanna Francesca from Consonate.world. Shanna's a speaker, writer, entrepreneur. She's also an author. She really helps people live more joyful and connected lives through the principles of life design. And through this conversation, Rich, we even come up with a formula for how leaders can intentionally grow themselves. And I can't wait for people to learn more about that one.
0: Yeah, the formula was a fun thing to create with all three of us. We also hear from her, where's the line of good culture versus bad culture? And she's very clear on where that line is. How do you cast a vision and have it stick and be a healthy
1: one? Without further ado, here Today's episode's being brought to you by Financial Wing. Are your company's financials keeping you up at night? We all know that today's small to medium-sized businesses often overlook the fundamentals of accounting and financial operations. Our friends at Financial Wing can help with everything from bookkeeping, monthly closing and reporting, budget planning, and much, much more. Financial Wing's reliable and professional approach will quickly build your trust and turn your finances into an asset versus a liability. Go to financialwing.com slash EU for your free 30-minute consultation and see what they can do for you. Shanna, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Excited to have you on with Rich and I today. We'd love to learn a little bit more about your story and why you're on a mission. to sh-
2: Number one, thanks for having me here. Number two, to address your question, I'm on a mission to share it because I know that curiosity and getting intentional with our lives will change the world. It does change the world because it changes us, changes our perception, and perception is reality, right? <laughs> and so to be able to question the nature of our reality, to, to come from a place of curiosity rather than expert, rather than a place of expert, right? Because when we sit ourselves in the seat of expert, there's nothing left for us to learn. Wow. Okay. Which inherently cuts off our ability to actually connect to other people. If we know what we know, there's no way that other people can challenge that frame of reference because we know we're the expert, right? Mm. And so when we can then put ourselves in the place of curiosity, we then open back up the ability to reconnect
1: to ourselves and to one another. Okay. No pun intended. I'm very curious. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and what you're saying is very true, right? Yeah, uh, I think way too much in today's society. I don't care if you're watching the news; you hear two people talking about politics or really or whatever. People just seem to have this hard stance of no. What I know, I know what it is. And I think taking the angle of curiosity to explore what people yeah. are talking about and have that open mind does yeah. change people and the yeah. world over time. Yeah. But how yeah. did that come to be your mission? Like why? Why is that important for you? Why is that your why?
2: I grew up in an evangelical Christian cult and in an abusive household where I was told that everyone knew and I was required to obey their knowing. And what I saw it do was usurp my autonomy. It usurped my ability to experience the world in ways which I would choose for myself. It, um... It was a violation of my personhood. And so when we sit in a place of knowing for other people, even for ourselves, we start to violate other people's boundaries. We ignore them completely. When we can sit from a place of curiosity, we can ask, hey, how do you want to show up in this world? How do I make space for that? How do I not take space away from you? And then when we get intentional, we can recognize what's meant for us and what's meant for other people and not for the purpose of seeking power, take away from others, right? We can know what's meant for us, be able to sit with that, embody that, and leave what's meant for others for them. And I think we're in a place where we're watching significant power grabs that are continuing to harm more and more people. And so because I've experienced that firsthand, I've experienced people grabbing power away from me and away from the people around me in an effort to exploit and extract resources. I've seen exactly what it does. I've seen how it breaks down people and perpetuates trauma. And you can't perpetrate trauma against other people. You cannot actively harm others and not harm yourself in the process. We're just watching the world around us break down there's no, no real sense of community. There's no real sense of connection. And that's what we're meant to be as human beings, connected to one another, living community together. We're meant to live this life together, but we're dysfunctional in that, right? Because hierarchy is teaching us that we have to be more powerful than others, and power is over others, right? And so we can't be connected to people and have power over them. And we're watching the rise of mental health difficulties for people, depression, suicidal ideation, all of these unhealthy things because we are more disconnected from ourselves and others every single day. And so for me, my work is deeply rooted in how the hell can we get back connected to our own humanity and to one another
1: because we need it. Shanna, first of all,
0: I am so sorry for your experience when people use words like abusive and violation of personhood and trauma. That's incredibly sensitive stuff. And I'm sorry you had to endure that. And that's not okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. episodes, there are entire shows on things like the Freemasons, because they're a secret kind of organization. Some people might call them a cult. Certainly, when you say evangelical Christian cult, like their entire shows, because people are like, I'm curious, what is that? I don't want to go too deep down the road of, hey, just out of curiosity, let's make it interesting. And let's talk about that, particularly if it's painful. But when that's the first thing that you cite as something formative for you to have created your mission I can't help but be curious to double click on your experience, having grown up in a evangelical Christian cult, as you put it, and what was that experience? And then ultimately, and I don't want to stay in the pain part of that, but I'd love to hear a little bit more. And then ultimately, what are the coping mechanisms you created that led you to some of the freedom you have now?
2: Yeah. To answer your first part of your question, how I came to, I didn't actually come to recognize that I grew up in an evangelical Christian cult until probably five years ago. I didn't form that language. I knew it was excessively oppressive. I knew that there was illegal things happening. I knew that they were covering up abuse. They were covering up pedophilia. They were covering things. I'll speak to my own experience. I know that there was a man within the church who our family was close to, my dad was close to, that will become relevant in a moment, where he was be- he was actively beating his children, not just beating them and his wife, he was kicking them once he had beaten them to the ground. And the wife went to the church to say, I need support in getting away from this man. And they said, if you call the cops, you're ousted from the... In my own experience directly, my father sexually assaulted me when I was 15. He started grooming me from the time that, in looking back, I can see that he was grooming me from the time I was probably five or six, and forced me to take a chastity pledge in front of our 2,500-person church, which I did not want to do because I had been raped when I was three years old by my babysitter's son. And so technically, even though I don't believe in virginity anymore, technically according to the church's establishment of what that is. I did not fulfill that anymore. And so it felt like a violation of my own trauma to stand in front of a group of people and declare my virginity. I wanted to do it just within my family unit and my father refused. I now recognize that it was because he was laying claim over me and my physical body for the, all of the male Parishioner, and when the church was made aware of that, the pastoral staff advice was to write my father um, a letter explaining how it hurt me. And they told my mother that it happened because she wasn't having sex with my father. Early enough. So when I say that it was a cult, and I finally got to that language, is because you see an abuse of power, a lack of accountability, manipulation of resources. They had millions of dollars worth of gold stored in the church's office that eventually was stolen by one of the pastoral staffs and taken across state lines so they were investigated by the fbi why they had millions of dollars worth of gold when they had parishioners who were struggling to pay their bills is absolutely mind-boggling they were buying up tax liens and charging the maximum amount of interest which is legal But should a church be invested in purchasing up or or struggling financially? Should the church be actively involved in harming people? The church was completely aware of these things going on because I brought some of my concerns to leadership and they were like, don't worry, we're dealing with them. And I'm like, how? If the rest of the church isn't aware and we're not being, nobody's being held to a place of accountability. This is broad abuse. This needs to be brought forth to the entire congregation. And instead was consistently, Um, minimized and swept under the rug. For me, any time an organization crosses the line and no longer is willing to acknowledge or participate in accountability is the minute it becomes an oppressive environment and starts to get on the scale of a cult, right? What it's requiring is absolute obedience and a violation of personhood and boundaries. And that is when an organization immediately slips into a cult-like setting. Usually there's some kind of powerful vision. There's a powerful vision that becomes the trade-off of giving away your personhood to this greater vision and violation of self and so on and so forth. So it's very manipulative. So that was my experience there. However, for me, I happen to be neurodivergent. I was diagnosed at the age of five. I have ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. So for me, curiosity is built into who I am. And not only that, but a sensitivity to injustice, a sensitivity to logical fallacies. And so as I approached 25, 26, as my brain was finishing forming in that our brain is always changing, right? But there's a place where it it reaches development. I was like, this is, this is absolute nonsense. And I need to get out because I'm, I'm in pain constantly being around these people. And so I left and I went to other evangelical churches in which I saw the same patterns develop. And so I walked away from those as well. And for me and myself now, I no longer identify as Christian. I'm agnostic and investigating Buddhism and other religions that to me, Buddhism is like the anti-religion for me. And I don't want, I don't mean to offend anybody who is religious and has deep rooted faith. I've walked away from religion in its entirety, but what led me to that place of being able to walk away from a cult was curiosity and asking like what exists outside of this and that curiosity led me to read books right which is why education is so important because education breaks through harmful ideology Mm -hmm. it necessarily starts to foster curiosity and this is why i say that things that sound innocuous like little statements like curiosity killed the cat we should abolish them right because nothing is innocuous about that it is a foundation of don't be curious, don't question authority, don't do these things. It starts to lay the foundation of these hierarchical, exploitative environments and violates our personhood. <clears throat> what I think is important is people be able to question and determine what's healthy for themselves. For me, religion is not healthy, but I see other people in my life who are still very Christian. And they acknowledge that I've walked away from it and we respect each other's belief systems. And we allow that their truth is their truth, and my truth is my truth. What's healthy for me is maybe not healthy for them. And that's the place that I think that we need to get to is a place where we don't see other people's ideology being different than ours as a threat, but recognize there's a benefit in them. Recognize that's how we build community and connection. Right? It's like the difference between monocropping and following indigenous practices. Monocropping steals nutrients out of the soil. Right. When you have indigenous practices like the Three Sisters, where you have plants growing together, one's feeding the soil that the other plant needs, they're growing up together. You have this group of things that are able to grow stronger and healthier and happier together than if we are to singularly use resources until there's nothing left, and then necessarily have to abandon that practice and left with no resources in that soil. As a community, we need to be Cultivating that soil with our differences rather than homogeneity. That's a long answer to your question, but I That I thought
0: it Yeah, that's amazing. I'm compelled to share with you, I find you absolutely impressive in how you've evolved to be able to talk about your story, how you articulate concepts. Um, the way that you go about telling that, I just feel honored to be in your presence with somebody who has so much clarity about their past, about what it is, what it was, what can be for themselves. And it's rare. I think John and I have done over two years of podcasts, and I'm not sure we've had any guest come close to the level of clarity and articulation you have. And it's no wonder why you have a company built around a mission of you sharing your message because you do it so powerfully and people I'm sure want to hire you to come and talk about community in their organization and your experience and how to not have that. So I'm compelled just to share with you a few thoughts and feelings I've had as I was listening to you there. Yeah, go for it. I would love to. I would like to know there are a handful of people who have had a similar experience, who have had repression in their environment, who have been abused. I imagine there aren't a ton of people that have all of your experience, pieces of it. And then there are people who don't have exactly that level of pain. What is your message that relates to all audiences in terms of getting clarity on? where they are who they are and what they may want next for themselves
2: i've never met a single human being who hasn't been through something that was traumatic for them not one something that altered their perception of reality something that hurt deeply right whether it be the end of a relationship whether it be even for some people moving right? It's an aspect of my work is recognizing our connection to interior environments, right? So two thirds of our time we spend inside of our home and our happiness, literally our happiness, a study came out in 2019 of the three most important things to our happiness as human beings. Number one is our mental health. Number two is our home. When we have built a story and a life inside of an environment, moving, breaking that connection and venturing into the unknown of a new neighborhood of a new environment can be very it can be painful fearful it can also be traumatizing if you're forced to move that from that arena so even these things that in our life I think our environment tries to minimize oh you're just moving it's not that big of a deal it is if it's to you and so I think getting curious about our own pain points the things that have helped form and mold us and not being afraid to touch the pain and to feel the feelings, it's when we get really connected to our to ourselves, right? The minute we try to numb the pain and ignore the pain, we also numb the joy. We also prevent ourselves from being able to feel the joy. And when I say the difference between joy and pain, I don't mean we have to experience trauma, but we do need experiencing challenges because challenges push us outside of who we knew ourselves to be before that moment, right? Right. And so when I'm talking to any human being, and I have a vast array of clients, for one client, it might be that they couldn't actually have children and they ended up adopting and then working through all of the nuance that goes with adopting a child and dealing with that child's needs and addressing and empowering that child's needs because being adopted is a very traumatic thing there's lots of there's lots of pain points as human beings right and so it doesn't mean my work doesn't mean that you have to have been through something deeply traumatic but simply being comfortable with feeling our feelings and experiencing these moments and letting ourselves move through pain right is is a very important aspect of my work because not a single human being makes it through this life without some kind of pain. It's just a part of our existence. Buddhism teaches us that too. There's no, there's, life is pain. Part of life is pain, right? It's growth. It's change. It's fear. All of these things are painful to us, but getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is the most human thing we can do.
1: Shanna, very powerful too, because To your point, we all are going to be challenged. We're all going to experience some levels of trauma. But knowing how to process it, get past it, and move on to enjoy what life has to offer is part of it. You can't let it hold you down. You have to escape out of it. And so I really love everything you're saying about that. This podcast is called Entrepreneurs United. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs within companies that listen to this podcast. And I have to go here specifically for the relevance of business because there's something you're talking about. And Rich, you may remember, I had a recent debate with a guest, beliefs of an entrepreneur and how they impose those beliefs within their organization because that's what they believe. And I was trying to articulate in that debate, the position of what? That's not your position as an organizer of people because different people may have different beliefs. They may, in the US, you may be a Republican or a Democrat. That's very toxic these days to have those conversations. Yes. I don't believe Maybe that's not. your <laughs> place as a leader to exert your influence through yes. the business of your beliefs. And we, so we had a really good debate about it. He had, He made some really good points as well. But when you talk about the ability to respect others' truths, we now live in a world where it's a lot of black and white. There were divorces over which political side you were on in the past four years. There, There's just so many different strong beliefs that people have that they just cannot accept the other person's side because of yeah. that lack of curiosity. And the one thing you said was you got to cultivate the soil with our differences. The reason why our company is so great is because You may be this religion, you may be that religion, you may not believe in religion, but we all can understand and appreciate each other's positions. And it's such a powerful message, in my opinion, for leaders to hear a little bit more of in this conversation. As a leader of a company and an organization, a leader of people, how can you take the concepts you're talking about to cultivate differences through curiosity versus this is the way you need to be, you need to believe in my political leader or you shouldn't be a part of my team mentality?
2: I think we have to address two things. Number one, I do not engage in conversation or debate with anyone who does not believe in human rights for all people. If you start with the basis of an engagement with me in denial of basic human rights for all people, we are done. We're not having a conversation because then I know I'm not emotionally safe with you. That's a slippery slope and I'm not engaging in that conversation. You are welcome to own your beliefs and you can do it as far away from me as possible. Second, I think it is vitally important that we recognize whether or not what we are calling beliefs are actually rooted in fear or they're rooted in our connection to ourselves and our intention for our lives. There's a big difference between those two. When we are feeling the need to impose our beliefs on other people, I would say 99% of the time, your beliefs are not actually beliefs, they're fear and it's a means of self defense and self protection and so there is ego involved in that when you're when you are really tapping into getting intentional about who you are and how you show up in the world and understanding how powerful we are as human beings and that quite literally we are all everything is made of energy so every interaction with another human being you know we are exchanging energy right through conversation through through our very physical presence with one another and I don't mean to be like hokey about that. Scientifically, that is proven, right? Energy is not lost. It is simply transferred. There have been times where each and every one of us, we might've stood in a room and known, even though our back was to the door, when a specific person or a specific type of energy entered the room without ever having seen that person, right? We can sense a change of energy in a space, just like that. every interaction in our lives is an exchange of energy. And I think it's important as leaders that we understand how powerful that we are understand the impact of our belief systems understand that we are not meant to impose them on other people we are meant to attract i say this to people all the time i'm not building an empire i'm not building my business as an empire an empire is built on the backs of people an empire is built in exploitation i'm building constant as a galaxy a galaxy is a group of stars brought together by a gravitational pull they are attracted to one another right they are choosing each other Right. And so when we as a leader are being the best version of ourselves, we are attracting people who are identifying with our core beliefs, identifying with their culture, and they're wanting to be a part of that. Right. We're not seeking to exploit people. We're seeking to learn from one another. You have to remove ego from that. To be a leader, you have to remove ego. You have to question your fear when it comes up. You have to be willing to feel it. You have to be willing to sit with it and move through it otherwise you're a boss not a leader. Right? Leaders are at the head they're at the head and people are choosing to follow them. I feel like bosses and managers are pushing people from behind.
0: I want to ground some of this in its application in business. Much of your message is having an inclusive environment and in business we might call it culture. And you talked about Having a vision, I'm wondering how does a leader know where they may have crossed a line? And I want to—that's my question. But I want to expand on it in an example. If there, if an organization has a core value of, for example, deliver what you promise, and that is part of the culture, is people say what they do and do what they say, and if you don't do that's wrong. That doesn't occur as particularly inclusive. To well, say hey that. That's wrong, you should follow through on what you say. But to me, that seems, yeah, that's a very reasonable thing to expect in business that when somebody says that they're going to go to a certain meeting, that they show up and they don't say, oh, something happened. And we just let them off the hook constantly. See how it could erode into being. Where's the line? How does a, when you consult business leaders, how do they have a litmus test between, hey, that's really good and acceptable culture, but there is a little bit of restriction to it on how you need to behave around here, but it's not oppressive. How do I know where that line is?
2: Oh gosh, it becomes very clear. The minute you stop hearing or having or engaging with people who are questioning your assumptions, right, the minute there's not an environment fostered around questioning assumptions is the minute something starts to become toxic because we are vastly different human beings. So even when I say one thing and I have a specific intention around that saying that thing, each person in a room or each person hearing what I'm communicating will hear it differently and translate it differently. If there's not discussion around the crafting of that, of language, if there's not discussion where there is questioning, there is deeper diving, there is, if it's just, okay, This is said and it's taken as gospel. That is the minute that it is culture has become toxic because there should always be questioning and there should be not only an invitation, but a practice around questioning how projects, things, cultures, everything is moving forward. That doesn't mean we beat it to death, but it does mean we sit with something for a moment. We have conversation about it. We do have discussions about it and we not only encourage, but we invite discourse on on as, every aspect of the business, right? We it, The group of people invited and talking about that discourse might be different for every different things. But if you look at some of the most prosperous cultures, they practice this, right? That like you look at cultures like Pixar, they have a practice around questioning each other. That doesn't mean that just because somebody raises a particular thought process, it doesn't mean that, okay, now we're gonna shift entirely to follow this other thought process, no then a discussion is also had about that raising of an objection and it can inform the way that they move forward, but may or may not be the way that you move forward. Right. So I think it's just a matter of, um, and it's, un- it's uncomfortable as a leader to allow other people to question you because <laughs> you, because we're in an environment that tells us we have to know everything to be a leader. It's uncomfortable to be a true leader. It's uncomfortable to sit with the reality that you don't know everything and that you are going to fill the room with other people who are brilliant experts and that they're meant to contribute to the conversation equally to you. It's not you at the top, everybody else, right? These strict hierarchies that absolutely compress and hide and push aside people's voices, right? They speak over it. No, we're going to go with my way. And ultimately, what that teaches our people is that they shouldn't hold you accountable. They shouldn't raise questions. And that is the beginning of a toxic environment.
0: Where is the opportunity to be decisive? Like at some point, we have to stop going in circles and questioning everything, and questioning our questioning about questioning questioning things. At some <laughs> point, we've got to get decisive, and we have to execute things. Where is that in your philosophy?
2: Yeah, I don't think we go round and round. I think when you, you create this environment of questioning, people also being intentional about that questioning, right? We're not questioning for the sake of questioning. We're, we have established an intention for a specific project for us as a corporation, and we're constantly touching back to that. And I think that's where the thing has to stay aligned with what is our why for a project? What is our intention for a project or as a company? And we're always aligning our questioning with that so that there isn't any circular conversation. We're not going round and round. But at some point, yes, a leader is going to have to make the decision and everybody may not agree with you, but everybody's heard and their perspective is honored and then a decision is made, right? Just because we're hearing everybody doesn't mean we're doing what they say, because that's not really being a leader. Being a leader is taking in the information offered you, figuring out where it aligns with, and then either you're making the decision yourself or you're making it with a small group of people, and you're coming to a place of alignment. Okay, yes, let's move forward this way. So maybe you're hearing the voices of a lot of people, and then that uh, that discussion gets to a much smaller group of two or three people, Right. And then the decision is made in that smaller group so that you're not going round. but there is still accountability in that decision-making.
0: I'm with you. I want to validate because you have very poignant, almost prescription to how to do this, which I'm loving. So I want to validate and give you the opportunity to correct me. So what I'm tracking with is it's not about going around and questioning everything incessantly. It is about before a leader makes a decision to get input from many others, particularly those who have some level of expertise or the decision may impact. Get their input. Make sure they are heard and honored, you said. then at the end of the day, you are the leader. You need to make a decision. Not everybody may be happy about the decision, but their opinion has been heard. And you need to make the best decision you can based on all the information you have including the opinions of others, versus the other side is, I'm the leader, I'm in charge, I get to call this shot, and there's not really any listening.
2: Yeah, I think being a true leader is understanding your intention and then accepting the consequences of your action. So when you make a decision, when you're hearing everybody else's when you're hearing other people's voices it helps you to understand the impact of whatever decision you make and then being able then standing up and owning the impact of whatever decision you make because no matter what decision you make there is always an impact there's always a consequence so when you as a leader are listening to other people's voices it's a way for you to be able to take ownership of the impact and to be able to form a plan around the consequences of whatever that decision, that's where responsible leadership comes in, as opposed to, I'm going to make a decision and you can deal with it, right? There's a very different perspective.
0: Understood. Talk to me about vision. Where is the place for vision? Because the only, as I said a moment ago, what I heard from you was people giving themselves up for the vision. And at an absolute level, you go, yeah, that's wrong. People shouldn't just completely abandon who they are for a vision. But then when we dial it down, isn't there a small piece of, as a leader, we need to cast a vision, people need to get behind it, and there are some sacrifices that need to be made for the good of the whole. Can you talk to me about vision and its place as an entrepreneur leading a business?
2: Yeah, for me, when I sat down and I established what it is that I want to do, what I, you know, I think as a leader, when you cast a vision, like I said, it's about attracting people who align with that and who that vision doesn't violate their own personal boundaries. And so I think whenever we're talking about vision and forming vision, we need to understand, again, the consequences of that vision. We need to understand the impact. And I think we need to sit with it. Is it really, is it why? Is it tied to my why? Why? what am i doing why am i doing it what's the impact of what i'm doing yes you need vision and yes people gather around that vision but also we need to recognize that as a company because we're f- because we're filled with people necessarily change and grow and so their their ability to align with that vision also changes and grows and, and they may grow out of alignment with that vision and for me as a leader whenever i see that happening because i'm in constant conversation with the people who work for me Whenever that starts to happen, we talk, right? And they're like, actually, I think I'm going to start looking for another job. Like I'm moving into another aspect of my life. I want to be able to do this or that or because there's a lot of traveling, there's a lot of on-site going on, right? So my project manager, when she got married and got pregnant, she really needed to be able to have a little bit more of a regular schedule and she couldn't be out in the field anymore and wanted to be able to then be a stay-at-home mom and after the baby was born for a period of time. And she was so profoundly impacted by the vision. She's like, there's no way I could stay away that long, right? And so I need to take a step back. So I was her reference, right? We talked through what was she looking for. She was sounding things off of me. I did not take it personally that she felt it was time for her to move on. I think that's important when we're forming vision is that we not ask people to give themselves over to it without question. I think we have to establish vision. It's what people gather around, but people are people. And so like they're going to align with it for as long as they do, and then they might not anymore. And we can't take it personally. And we need to be there to support those people who have supported us because they're giving such an immense amount of energy to us to help us grow something. We should be willing to then give back to them in that same way and support them in the next leg of their journey. And that's how we build community. I just had, like my project manager, she got in, she started working for someone else back in November. We just had lunch last Saturday, two Saturdays ago. So like, we're still in relationship with one another. We're still part of each other's community. So I think that's another thing is, yes, we're establishing vision, but that doesn't mean it doesn't grow and change and people are going to stay aligned with it forever. There's not obedience to it, right? There's alignment
1: with it. Jenna, I'm listening to this conversation and I just wrote down a formula based on this conversation. And I'd love to just challenge you and Rich, Rich, I'd love your input on this as well as to whether or not you'd add something to this, the formula for ultimate growth as a leader, growing yourself as a leader. Yeah. Cause that's where it starts. That's right? really, really matters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, If I was to say, hey, here's the formula that you as a leader can learn to have the ultimate growth, I would say there's three things based on this particular conversation. One, be curious. That has to be number one.
2: Foundation. Number
1: two, be respectful. Number three, be open. (laughs) What would you change in that formula? I'd love to hear from both of you guys. Am I missing something in that formula? Would you change a word in that formula? Or like, I, I'm just making this out of the sky, but I ultimately believe that if you're curious and you ask questions, you're respectful that people may have a different opinion than you. And they may have this view or that view, but you respect their opinion and to be their own.
2: Yeah.
1: But you're also open to potentially modifying yeah. your
2: view I always reserve the right to change my mind. I say that to yeah. so people. I reserve the right to change my mind. As given more information, I will always change my mind.
1: <laughs> How do you guys feel about that formula?
2: I think, it's, I think it's a great reduction of what we've been talking about. Because I, I, think it's, I think it's great. Yes, it can be once you dive in, it's expanded on. But I think those three key things are absolutely the formula,
0: for sure. I think Shanna's being nice to you, John. Because I have a word from her <laughs> that I think should be added. Okay. What is it? Intentional.
2: Yeah, I think. Okay. And the re, okay. So, what I would say is that those three things equal intention.
0: Because I was looking at it as almost in an order it's intentional, but after intentionality is being curious and open with that curiosity versus intentionality and being closed. Don't just have no intention. Like, y- you, you've got to have an intention and then be
1: curious about but
2: it. If,
0: can you truly establish an intention if you haven't been curious about what's
2: possible first?
1: Yeah, I'm with shannon on this one.
2: So to me, instead of stack ranking them, yeah. what happens to the formula is this way. It's like an out al- it's like an algorithm. It's like a math problem. It's horizontal, not vertical. Would All you go
0: curious, think- respectful, open equals intentional? I
2: think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said, I don't think you can establish an intention without being curious first. And I don't think that without curiosity, you aren't open. And without curiosity and openness, you can't be And Without curiosity, you're not intentional, right? So it's first, I, like not even first, it's like being open, being curious, right? Those are both funneling into being intentional, but also when you couple those things with respect, right? Then you're, because once you're open, once you're open and curious, then there is naturally respect because then you're approaching something saying, I don't know, can you teach me? And so to ask something, to te- to ask any being, any energy, anything to teach you something, you have to trust that it has something to teach you. So there is inherently respect, right? And then all of that funnels to intention.
1: All right. I got I a new it. formula. I got a new yeah. formula and then we'll, we'll <laughs> kind of move on. It's be curious plus be open in parentheses, multiplied by be respectful equals intention and growth. Yes, we went full algebra. (laughs) (laughs) You did multiply, you did multiplied by, hang on. Curious and
0: open go together versus curious and closed. Curious
1: be open. Yeah, curious
0: and open. Plus open. Times being respectful, because if your respectful level is at a zero, you're curious and open. That's out to be worth nothing. Yes, exactly. yes, if you're yes. highly respectful, you get a multiplier on your curious and open, and then that equals having informed decisions, being intentional, making decisions, those types of things. And John, would you head this under growth formula? You use the word growth leadership. to open. I would
1: say it's leadership, but growth is part of leadership, isn't it? No, the reason why I say growth, though, Shanna, is because yeah, it's one thing to be a leader. Okay, I got that. Yeah. But if you want to grow as a leader, you want to have the ultimate oh, growth yes, of a leader, sure. be curious, be open, yeah. multiply that by being respectful, and you will automatically grow because you'll get all these yeah. new ideas yeah. that maybe you never even thought of before, yeah. as opposed to being closed, not yeah. curious, and not yeah. respectful. You say leadership growth. That's right? exactly
0: where I was thinking too. Because usually when you use growth in business, it's, you're talking about revenue.
2: Yes, exactly. And that's where I was like, people's minds are going to go to revenue. And that's that's a natural, that's a natural result of this conversation, but it shouldn't be the goal of this conversation. Because if financial revenue is your goal, you are negating that. I
1: apologize. That was implied. I meant ultimate leadership growth, not the business growth and financial growth. It was more of the interperson growing. If they can be curious, plus be open times, be respectful. I think we beat yeah. that formula to death, but I love the fact we I came love, up with yeah. it. Yeah, I uh,
0: love that. And Shannon, we've agreed on leadership growth formula. I want to make sure my notes yeah. are correct. I'm going to reread yeah. these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: 100% going to use this.
0: Oh, yeah. we. This is a message that is worth being cascaded for sure. And yeah. John, I love how you distilled that. And, yeah, I do. and we bantered it like, like we can't, that was true. Example. Exactly. Yeah. This wasn't me being like, no, this is this <laughs> is what I want it to be.
2: This was a, this was a, a beautiful example of what it looks like to come from multiple perspectives and get, get feedback and then something becomes so much more clear right because each one of us only has our view of the world right if we imagine it as a pie the minute we start to engage in curiosity and start to engage in conversation with someone our view of the pie gets larger right because we're bringing in that we're having that person's perspective so the as far as the problem solving goes or whatever the situation is now you've got an expanded view right and so then you can have much more clarity. So I think it's a beautiful example. That was Love so
0: it. fun, John. You're like, okay, here's a, let me run this by you. And Shan, <laughs> I do think you were being nice to start with. You're like, I don't want to contradict the host. Type thing. Uh, <laughs> no,
2: but, no, but I, I was also sitting with it and thinking, yeah, those three things are what it means to be intentional. That's in my head. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I think that equation is what it means to be intentional. But I love that you brought up and were like, but intention is part of it because I didn't say that part. Then we had head. to
0: reorder it. Then all of a sudden, right. it, like I right. had a vision of intentional stack ordered and you go, yeah. no, it's this way. And then John ends up coming up with a formula right. with parentheses. You could tell he's a real good financial right. guy. But, like, <laughs> this was such an example of what I would call synergy because the end product that we, we ended up with yeah. Better than that, which any of us individually could have brought. Exactly. It required all three of us to get yeah. to this piece of beauty around this leadership growth formula. That yeah. was really fun.
2: No, I loved that. I love that. And I will definitely credit you with the formula. Guys.
0: Credit
1: us. <laughs> Yes, as yeah. so like I said, okay, will yes. oh, definitely be like hey, during
2: the group. Contest, we came up with this formula and I'm sharing it with you. I truly
1: believe that companies need to hear more of this message. It's one thing for the leader to bring this message to their team. It's another thing for somebody else to bring the message as strongly as you can bring it to the team. How can people listening to this, if they want to get more of you, they want to get more from your business, what where should they go? What should they do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would say the best place, just head right to my website. I'm sure you're going to tag it in the show notes. It's www.consonate.world. There's information about group coaching, about one-on-one coaching, about upcoming workshops. There is, and you can always reach out to me about those things. My contact information is there. And yes, you're emailing me directly. And yes, I do. You can also subscribe to our email list, which I only send out when I have something intentional to share. It's not a regular thing where I'm just blasting people. We set them up at the beginning of the month. We decide what we want to communicate for the month. And it's very intentional. So yeah, that's the best place to go. Yeah. You can also listen to a bunch of the podcasts I've been on. So we have different varieties of conversations that may help people in different views, because each host has a very specific view of what I do and what I talk about, and I love that perspective. And so those may be helpful to people as well.
1: Awesome. Rich says this a lot, and I'm going to steal it. You gave us a lot of gifts today uh, and really appreciate the conversation. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John,
0: I could not appreciate more you role modeling, the very formula that you were just putting on the table going, hey, what do you think about this growth formula? And my gosh, was that sculpted by each of the three of us just live to become
1: something? Yeah, and I appreciate you saying the role modeling of that. It certainly wasn't intentional. I guess that's maybe a double back. (laughs) But sometimes you got to synthesize what's being said to you and just boil it down to, okay, what is being said here? And for me, as I started just thinking about it, when a leader is curious and asks questions, when they're open to hearing what everybody else has to say, and they're very respectful of people having different opinions than them, I found that to always work. And you've been in those meetings and I've been in those meetings when you have a leader who does the complete opposite. Right? They come in hard-nosed on what their opinion is. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They're not open to changing their mind and they're borderline disrespectful. No, you don't know what you're talking about. This is what we're doing. And in today's society, that just doesn't work anymore. But it takes it a step further, Rich. You may be, I may be talking about a business problem. And here's the business problem, and I want to be open and curious and be respectful of your thoughts on this particular business problem. That's one thing. Where I think this is creeping over into danger zone is. I, I have a certain political belief and I'm going to spread that through my company. And I don't care what you think you're wrong. I'm right. My party is right. Your party is wrong. Religion. You can do the same thing. If you don't have this religious belief, you're just wrong. You got to convert to my side. Leaders cannot exist in today's society with that mindset. You have to, which, one thing she said that that was beautiful is you got to cultivate the soil with differences of opinions. That makes the soil beautiful and will help your business and organization grow. More leaders need to have that mindset today than ever. I'm going to
0: circle back to where you started. You said it wasn't intentional. I think you even saying it wasn't intentional begets the very formula itself, which is if you're curious and open and respectful. Whether you like it or not, it's going to yield intentionality. If you were intentional on the front end or not, it doesn't even matter. If you're curious and open and respectful, you will end up with an end result of some intentionality that was better as a result of that process than if it weren't used. One of the things I loved was her talking about vision. And what I took a note on that was the absolute clarity for me is alignment, not obedience. That is the clear-cut differentiator. You are selling a vision in the company, and she started with, to attract people who align to it and not require people to give themselves over to it without question. And then I just summarize that as alignment, not obedience, and that's a fine line around the vision, but it became clear when she was speaking about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to tie together, Rich, as I'm thinking through this is something I thought was very powerful in what you said, that every interaction is an exchange of energy. And what's beautiful is when Shan is on with us and we're kind of bouncing these things around, we're just balancing energy back to each other and back and forth. Yeah. And Ultimately, that's what a leader can do. When they follow this formula as well, when they're curious and they're open and they're respectful, their team feels that energy. And then they become open and curious and respectful. And the whole energy platform just grows and they feed off of each other versus a leader diffusing that energy with their negative energy or their sloped shoulders. And it's eh, it's boring. and It sucks. And no one wants to listen. And that's the way your culture is going to be built. So I truly believe that culture can be built on this to your point of alignment, not obedience, of energy, growth, and intentionality. Everything about this is just absolutely beautiful. And you said something that's going to resonate me for a while is the way she communicated her message. Oh my gosh. It was very clear and concise to the point where we were able to synthesize this into a formula because it was that clear.
0: Yeah, excellent. As open as she is to... Everybody's opinions. she was a hundred percent close to one opinion, and what she said was, "I'm starting any discourse on a foundation of human rights for all people. If you do not believe in human rights for all people, I am not emotionally safe in the conversation." And I wrote down her quote, it was so powerful, was, "You are welcome to your own beliefs, and you could do it as far away from me as possible." So, she's not even indicting that person. She's saying, You're welcome to your own beliefs if it doesn't include human rights for all people. Like, you, that's your belief, no problem. I'm not going to engage with you, though. I think that is such a great example of when we do not agree with other people, how we can give them their space. And there are some things that are just a deal breaker for conversation. And for her, it's human rights for all people. And she's still willing to give the person their space, just not with me. I'm not gonna engage with you unless you go there. And just her clarity on that, it's just refreshing to talk to somebody so clear on their own beliefs that are so founded in these just universal principles.